Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Grab your Bibles and go with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 37. And uh, we got some notes coming your way. If you want some paper ones, the ushers are coming through. If you like the digital ones, you can get those off our app. But uh, we're in this series entitled Detours and Delays. Because uh, we've realized this here at Canvas Church and along our spiritual journey, um, that uh, our spiritual journey, as much as we would like it just to be a straight line, like, you know, you give your heart to Jesus and you step into this thing called Christianity and, man, life is just smooth and, man, we're heading into that thing that God has for us. But how many know that um, that's not the case? That the spiritual journey very seldom is just a straight line, right? The spiritual journey looks a lot like crooked roads. It looks a lot like valleys and mountains and, and, and different things. There's a lot of detours and a lot of delays. And, uh, and so what we're doing is we're diving into this uh, story about a guy named Joseph in Scripture. And we're learning from his detours and delays on the way to his journey so that we can apply that to our life. What is God doing in those moments of detours? What is he doing in those moments of delay? Uh, what is being worked in us? Because there is something working in us if we lean into uh, the work of Christ in those moments. Um, and, and we apply. Here's, here's something I learned a long time ago, um, is that uh, the, the Word of God really does work if you apply it to your life. Right? Like, like if you actually apply it, and I don't mean that you wait until you're in this moment of, of absolute despair and desperation, although He does come through. He does work miracles. He does come through in those moments. But it's kind of like this. If, 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 if you went to the doctor and the doctor told you, um, that, man, you're overweight, your arteries are clogged, the health isn't good, uh, you need to change your eating habits, and you've been eating like cheeseburgers and pizza, like for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Come on, somebody. I just, yeah, I knew I just described somebody's diet right there. Um, and the doctor tells you you need to change that, and so right when you leave, you eat one salad, and you don't see anything change. And then you're mad, and so you go back to cheeseburgers and pizza, Right? Or, or like, hey, you need to get to the gym, and so you go to the gym one time, and after working out one time, you don't see any change, right? And so you give up on the gym, okay? Uh, that's, that's silly. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that, right? But here's the thing. So many of you do that when it comes to biblical principles. You come to church, well, I'll try that, and you'll apply it one time. You're like, well, that's not working. Here's the thing. Biblical principles, as you continue to take what we're learning in Scripture and you apply it to your life over time, you will see the transformation of the change. Are you with me? And so here we are diving into the life of Joseph and saying, hey, what can we learn from Scripture that we can apply to our life that will bring transformation and change as we head towards what God has for us? So we can learn from the story. So you're in Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read the whole entire chapter. Uh, but before I do, I want to jump ahead in the story, and I want to read you Genesis 50, verse 20. And this comes after Joseph has gone through 13 years of detours and delays. He gets the, he gets the vision that we're going to read, and he gets this, this idea that, okay, God's going to do something significant in my life, and he's going to use me in a significant way. And then he goes into 13 years of, of detours and delays until he gets to this point right here where he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, and it says, but as for you, you meant evil against me. And he's talking to his family, actually, the ones that, that betrayed him. And he's saying, hey, you, 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 what, what, you meant evil against me. Like, like what you did to me, you meant it for evil. 
But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. To save many people because Joseph, his, his, his very story and his very life gets used to save people from, from a famine. Now, now here's the thing is early on in the story, Joseph didn't have this perspective. But it was through those 13 years of detours and delays where he finally gets to the place. And here's what you need to understand is that you don't have to be mistreated and misused and misguided in order to get to the place that God has for you. What you need to understand is that God will use all of those things and he'll still turn it for good. Are you with me? And use your story no matter what. And so here we are in Genesis chapter 37. Like I said, I'm going to read to you the whole entire thing, but man, we're in church, all right? And so how many of you guys would just, you know, watch half a movie and then leave? That's weird. So we're going to read the whole chapter. Verse 1. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He was a shepherd. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bela and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. And so we've learned thus far um, what, what the family dynamic is. The family dynamic, if you've been with us, and if you haven't, I'll just catch you up, is this. There are 12 brothers, okay? Not to mention sisters, all right? But there's 12 brothers along with some sisters, and there's four moms and one dad, okay? Now, I need to explain something because some of you are like, yeah, it's okay, I've been married four times, okay? Now, this isn't like, like mom gone, new mom. This is like all four moms living there at the same time. That's a dysfunctional family, okay? So 12 brothers, then there's some sisters, four moms, one dad. That's just a recipe for some weirdness. Are you with me? Okay? So this is what's taking place, all right? Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. There's another issue. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. There's a lot of hatred going on. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundles stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. He's a slow learner, right? Either that he's like the younger sibling, like, look at me. <laughs> Listen. I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. 
Soon after this, uh, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their flock um, at Shechem. And when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem. Uh, from uh, their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are? Pastoring their sheep. Yes, the man told him. They, are, they have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. Verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance as he approached, and they made plans to kill him. I told you this is a dysfunctional family. Okay? Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreamers, or of his dreams. This is like, this is like Criminal Minds 101 here. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he will die slowly. <laughs> I added that part, but that's basically what they're saying. He'll die without laying our hands on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a, a load of gum, balm, aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. These are morbid brothers. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by Joseph. Brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with a message. Look what we found. Does this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap, and he mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of of the palace guard. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. And Lord, we just pray in the next few moments that we have together that, Lord, you would take uh, some of the principles of this passage and you would teach us 
uh, about our own detours and delays, about the, the things that are, are causing us not to walk in the great things that you have for us. But I pray you'd help me, Lord, in this moment to create a place for people to discover your son, Jesus, uh, to know your amazing love and to realize the incredible plan that you have for them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. How many of you in here have a favorite television show? Anybody have a favorite television show? It's okay to raise your hand. It's not a trick question. It's not like pastor's going to be like, oh, I watch TV and now I'm in trouble. None of you have a favorite show. How about a movie? You like a movie? Anybody? Has anybody ever been to a movie theater before? Just raise your hand. I've been to a movie. Okay, good. So you've seen something on a screen. You've watched the movie. Here's, here's the thing. What makes a movie popular is that there's usually a hero in the show, right? Like, like there's this, 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 this one, or maybe there's two, maybe it's a man and a woman, or just a man or a woman, they're the hero. And here's the thing, and Hollywood has discovered this, that keeps people coming back to the movies and keeps people coming back to the shows, is that when we watch these things, we like to put ourselves in there and believe we're like the hero, right? I mean, let's just, I, I don't know why, because my, my daughter uh, is totally and completely fascinated with the Hunger Games. Anybody ever watched the Hunger Games or you've read the books? And so, like, there's a new one coming out, and the other day she sent us the trailer to it, and she was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be awesome. I'm like, it's not till November. Chill out, you know. But, like, if you've ever watched it, it's like when they get into that arena, nobody wants to be the dude that gets killed first, right, if you've seen the movie. Like, they're in the arena for, like, 12 seconds. Dude's dead. You're like, that was me. That's awesome. No, everybody wants to be the hero. You want to be Katniss or, or Peta or whatever. You want to be like one of the ones that makes it out. You get the, you know, victory. You get the girl. You get the money. You get the fame. We all like to be that person. And I get it. No one wants to be the one that's the villain. No one wants to be the one that's, that gets killed off early and, and, and there's no point to have. You always know which ones are going to die, by the way. Right? Especially in a TV series. It's like they introduce somebody new and it's like, well, they're dead by the end of the show. You know? Y'all want to be the hero. We all do, and I get that. But here's the problem. When we take that thought and we lay it over Scripture, we begin to read ourselves into the story as if, man, I want to be that guy. I want to be the hero. I want to be, I mean, let's be honest. When you read the story of David and Goliath, how many people want to be Goliath? Like, I want to be the really tall dude. Oh, wait, I am. No one wants to be like the guy that gets hit with the, the rock and dies and has his head cut off. But we all want to be David, right? And here's the thing, like when we're reading the story, it's like, man, I want to be like Joseph. I want to be favored. I want to have a cool coat. I want to make it to one day of this place of prominence where, you know, like I can stand before everybody and be like, everything bad that's happened in my life, don't worry about it. It's been for good. We all want to be that guy, right? But here's something we need to understand when reading the Bible is that there's only one hero of the Bible, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate hero of the story from Genesis to Revelation. And what we need to understand as we're studying the life of Joseph, because we're going to be studying it for many weeks, is that Joseph is actually a type of Christ in the Old Testament. He is the one that comes along, he's betrayed by his own, right? He's sold for a price, and he goes on ahead of them to save the world from a famine, right? He is a type of Jesus in the scripture. He is a savior, just like Jesus comes 
and saves the world from their sins. And so as we read the story of Joseph, what we're actually reading is we're reading a type of Christ, a type of Savior that is to come. It's just that what they could not do, Jesus does to the fullest. Okay? Matter of fact, there are over 60 similarities between Joseph and Jesus in Scripture. And I get it. We, we need to look at the hero of the story. Right? And, and we want to learn and we want to glean. Matter of fact, Hebrews actually says this. Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who are we to look to? Jesus. We want to learn. We want to glean. And as we look at Joseph, we got to see that there's over 60 similarities. And I'm not going to give them all to you, but let me just give you a few of them. Joseph was a shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. Joseph was opposed, and ex opposed to and exposed evil. Jesus did the same. Listen, throughout Jesus' whole entire life, it wasn't just when he died on the cross. It, his whole entire life, he was exposing evil by the way he lived and by the things he said. Joseph was loved by the Father. Jesus was beloved by the Father. Joseph foretold the future, his future sovereignty, the dreams. Jesus did the same. Joseph was conspired against. Jesus was also conspired against. Joseph was stripped of his coat. Jesus was stripped of his coat. Joseph was cast into a pit and then brought out later. Jesus was put into a tomb and then came back to life. Joseph was sold for the price of a slave. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave. Joseph's blood sprinkled with the goat blood was presented to his father. Jesus is our scapegoat, and his blood was presented to the father as a sin offering for us. And the list continues to go on and on and on over 60 similarities. You can go into chapter 38, chapter 39, for you go on and you see all of these similarities. But here's the thing. As much as we want to look at the life of Joseph and learn from the life of Joseph, the reality is, is we're probably more like the brothers than we are like Joseph. We're more like the supporting cast that make the hero so great. We're the ones that need to be saved. We're going to be the ones in the story that, that, that are in a famine and we have no food and so we got to go to somebody to save us and rescue us. We're the ones that are jealous. We're the ones that are bitter. We're the ones that are hurting. We're the ones that are conspiring to commit murder. We're, we're, more, we're more like the brothers in this story, the hopeless, the ones needing to be to be saved. There's no different than if you look at the, the story of David and Goliath. We all want to be David. We don't want to be Goliath. But the reality is, is we're probably more like the cowarding Israelites in the corner, scared for our lives. And we need a David, Jesus, to come along and save us from the enemy. Are you with me? And so if we were to look at the brothers and learn from the brothers in the story, here's something we're going to see right away that hinders them from them walking in, because we've said it at the very beginning of the series, that man, God has a plan and a destiny for everybody. God has a purpose and a plan for all of us. And these brothers that conspired against Joseph would go on and be one of the mighty tribes of Israel. 
but they too walk through some detours and delays and the greatest detour and delay that I see right up front for them is this, is they have relational wounds. They have relational wounds. Their biggest relational wound actually isn't the one they have with Joseph. Why, why do they hate Joseph? The Bible says they hate Joseph because they see that their father loves him more. And so they hate Joseph because of the daddy wounds that they feel in themselves. There's relational wounds. These relational wounds keep them from several things and really keep them and hold them back from fully embracing the thing that God has for them. Now here's the thing, is, is you're, you're sitting here today and, and the reality is, is we can all relate to relational wounds. Maybe, maybe, not, maybe not in the same context. Maybe it wasn't a father. Maybe it was a father. Maybe it's a mom. Uh, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe, it was, maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a divorce you went through. And because of that, there's this relational wound that is there. And because you've never healed from that relational wound, may you're not able to step into the very thing that God has for you. They have relational wounds. Maybe, maybe it's not a spouse. Maybe it was another type of relationship. Maybe it was a mentor, a, a leader, a teacher. You had a dream. Maybe you can even think back to that moment. You kind of shared your dream as a teenager. I want to do this. And they kind of chuckled and laughed. And like, oh, that's funny. Like, good luck. Because of that, there's this wound there, and maybe, maybe you haven't dealt with the wound, and so therefore you're, you haven't even stepped into that thing. Maybe, maybe it was an adoption. Maybe you were adopted. You didn't find out until a later, a later age, and now you're, you're wrestling with that. Maybe, 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 maybe it was a pastor. Maybe you're at a church and you got wounded by a pastor. And so now you have a hard time plugging into church because, I mean, all pastors all pastors are like that. And see, that's the thing with relational wounds. The thing with relational wounds is this, is that it causes us to project whatever we walk through onto the next person. Are you with me? Um, I remember early on in our marriage, and I've asked my wife if I have permission to share this, and she said yes. So if you have children and you're picking up your children later, don't tattle on me. Oh, you should have heard your husband today. He's... Uh, I remember early on in our marriage, I was noticing some trust issues. That, that there was just some trust issues. And I'm like, kind of like, man, we've only been married for like a year. What could have I done in 12 months? <laughs> Guys, let's be honest. We could have done a lot. But <laughs> you didn't kiss me goodnight. No. Um, and so, like, I, I, I noticed this, and so we have this conversation, like, hey, babe, what's going on? Where's it stemming from? And because of, some, so because of some, some father wounds and some wounds and some other relationships that she had that she never got healed from, that, that now she's projecting that on me, and there was just this lack of trust. Why were you five minutes late? I, I stopped to get gas. That took five minutes? <laughs> Actually, that's pretty quick. <laughs> it's like NASCAR style. <laughs> I was gone, like, you know. Um, I caused some issues, and, and it wasn't until we talked and prayed and found healing from those relational wounds that, that all of a sudden trust was there. Because we tend to project 
onto other people and onto other things and onto other circumstances, that which we, we've walked through. So here's the deal. Um, as we're studying these detours and these delays, a big one is relational wounds. And you might be sitting there saying, ah, I can check out. This message isn't for me. Because um, you're good. Congratulations, you found healing. Um, but here's the thing. Maybe you're not the one that needs healing from the relational wounds. Maybe you're here today because you need to get more compassion for people with relational wounds. Why are they crying? Suck it up. Oh my gosh, it's been two years. What's wrong with you? Not that any of you would say that. Here's the thing. Relational wounds are real. And, and being a part of, of the body of Christ, we got to understand something that if you aren't walking through it, somebody else probably is. And we need to have compassion for those people because I was a psychology major and, uh, in college. And I learned this uh, as I was going through my classes is that uh, relational wounds are a lot like facing bereavement. When someone passes away, there's this, there's this deep wound that I've lost someone. That, that I cherish, that I value, and the relationship that was there. And that takes, that takes years sometimes. But here's the thing with relational wounds is that they actually say it's even more difficult because the person is still in the picture. The emotions and the feelings of that loss and that relational wound are there, and they're the same as if someone died. But the thing is, is the person that's died, over time, they're gone. They're no longer there. But when it comes to relational wound, they're there. And if you don't find healing from it, it'll continue to be this open, festering wound. Are you with me today? And so whether you're walking through it or whether you're someone that needs to learn compassion for those that are walking through it, or maybe you just, as a Christ follower and as a believer, you just need to be equipped a little more with some, some things so that you can help people overcome those relational, those relational wounds. Because they, they'll complicate things. They'll detour you. They'll, they'll hold you back from fulfilling all that God has, has for you. So let me just look at, it's not an exhaustive list, but I just want to look at a couple of uh, complications that it caused the brothers. And because, again, we're probably more like the brothers than we are like Joseph, and so I want to learn from there in this, them in the story today. The first one I see is this, is that this relational wound uh, created jealousy. Like they were totally jealous of their brother. They're jealous of the fact that, man, dad likes him more, Dad loves him more. He's got the coat. You know, like, like, man, like dad just treats him better. Now, there is another way to look at this. Yes, I know the story says that um, Joseph, you know, uh, uh, Jacob loved Joseph more. But here's the thing. Uh, Joseph uh, trusted these older ones enough to take his whole entire business and oversee it. Right? Like he's watching over the flock. But they don't have that perspective. Why don't they have that perspective? Because they have a relational wound. And so the perspective they have is this jealousy of their brother. Jealousy of the brother. If you can't celebrate someone else's wins and successes and gifts, then we're going to have a rough life. If you can't celebrate when somebody else gets something... And you're jealous of it instead, man, it's, you're going to have a rough life, especially in church. When you've been saving up for a car that you really want, and all of a sudden someone rolls up in that same car you've been saving for. Right? Like, oh. 
You get jealous because, oh, man, they. What about, what about celebrating other people's successes? Right? What about, what about celebrating? Oh, my gosh, look what God did for them. Look what's going on in their life. That's awesome. But because of relational wounds, a lot of times that doesn't happen. And instead we, instead we complain or compare ourselves. Complain when somebody else got something we didn't. Romans 12, 15 says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who, who weep. Now, what if we did that, right? Like, like, what if we did that as a body? Like, man, so-and-so got blessed. That is awesome. I'm going to rejoice with them. Not be like, why did they get that and I didn't? How come they got to? It's kind of quiet in church today. How about this one? Here's, here's another, another, another complication of the relational wounds. It causes you to miss the plan of God in you and in someone else. It causes you to miss the plan of God. All they heard when Joseph shared his dream was, oh yeah, Joseph, of course you would. Notice what the dad does though. The dad kind of like, he scolds him, but then he's kind of like, man, I need to think about this for a moment. Like, What's going on here? How many times when someone else shares their dream, their passion, their thing with you, you're kind of like, whatever. Like, you could do that. How, how, how about, like, if you're, like, a business person and, man, you're hanging out with other business people and they start sharing their business idea with you and you're kind of like, whatever. Because maybe you had a failed attempt at a business and, and so you don't want theirs to work out or you're jealous, like, oh, why did they get that idea? Not, not me. I remember when, I remember when uh, my wife and I had the, the dream of starting a church. And uh, that's a story in and of itself, detours and delays, but we had this dream of starting a church. And uh, we had to be careful who we shared that with. Sad, it's tragic. But man, we, you know, because some people share it with like, oh, you're way too young. I'm like, how old do you have to be to start a church? Where's the age limit requirement in Scripture? Because Paul wrote to Timothy like he was young. Matter of fact, there's actually some verses in the pastoral epistle that says, hey, Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. So how old do you got to be to start church? The crazy thing is I still people like, 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 dude, you're too young. I take that as a compliment now, though. I'm like, thank you. Please come to my church. We need you. But you gotta be careful with who you shared that drink with. It's, which is tragic, right? Like, like in the body of Christ. What happens? Well, I got my own relational wounds, and so now I'm projecting that. And do you feel threatened or in competition with other people? Maybe if we celebrate the thing God is doing in someone else, He will do it in you also. Maybe if we celebrate, rather than complain, rather than compare, rather than ridicule, rather than be like, ah, I don't know, what if we like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Maybe, maybe God will accelerate and actually do what you want him to do in your life. That's pretty cool, right? How about this one? I'll just give you one more here. 
The relational wound complicates things. It causes you to act irrational. Cause you to act irrational. I mean, look, look at what happens. I mean, the, the Bible says multiple times they hate their brother. Now, this is like, like same dad, right? So they, they still have the same bloodline. And, and yet, man, they, there's so much hatred because they haven't dealt with their, their, their relational wound. That when their brother comes, their first idea, their first thought is to kill him. How many of you guys want to be a part of that family? Like, you're coming home from work. And your siblings are all sitting around the table and they see you through the window like, yeah, should we kill him today? <laughs> That's messed up. That's their first thought. Hey, here comes that dreamer. Let's just kill him. Let, let's deal with the issue rather than heal from the wound. Because that's what people want to do. That, that too many times people try to deal with things rather than heal from things. And so rather than focus on finding healing in themselves, let's just deal with the external. Let's kill him. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, that's a horrible idea. Let's not kill him. I got a better idea. Let's throw him in a pit and let him die slowly. <laughs> I don't know if that's better or worse. Right? And then, and then finally, and you can see them kind of, sort of, coming to their senses a little bit. Like, no, hold on, he's our brother. What, what are we going to gain by killing him? I mean, let's, let's at least make some money off him. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get rid of him. Might as well make a profit. And, and so instead they sell him into slavery. Man, this is jacked up. They sell him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is the prime example of people being led by their emotions. Listen, I have three older brothers. And there were times I wanted to kill them. Are you with me? <laughs> there are times I was so mad and so angry. like I just, and, and let's just be honest. If I had the option of selling them, I would have done it. Come on, somebody. In the moment. Right? Because, because, because sometimes that, that pain of, 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 of relationship, right? That relational trauma, man, it could drive you, it could drive you to these points. But listen to me, we're not, we're not supposed to live by our emotions and by our feelings. Right? And it caused them to, to act ir, irrational. Because um, the pain is real. And, and the thing is, is the pain doesn't leave until you heal from it. But again, the problem is, is that, that most people in life, they deal with it rather than heal from it. Does this kind of feel like a really large group therapy session? If, if it was just green couch, you could lay down? And we could... Holy Spirit is the best therapist there is. And he uses the word. Um, but here's the thing is most people try to deal with, deal with it um, rather than heal from it. They, they deal with it with trying to medicate it. Right? Like, like, like go to the doctor, give me some meds. 
and they'll get, they'll get some subscri- you know, prescription medication. And that will mask, right, the, the trauma and the pain for a little while. Or maybe they don't even do that. Instead, what they do is they go to self-medication, right? And they go to substances. And they, they go to these substances to try to find just some, some temporary relief from the pain that is real. It's really there. But, but we're dealing with it rather than healing from it. Whatever it might be. Or some people just, you know, you, you talk with people and they'll be like, hey, look, man, it's been a year. You just need to suck it up. That is the worst thing you can say to somebody that's walking through relational pain. Like some trauma, like you just need to suck it up. Like grow up. Like, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's actually not biblical. <laughs> or or, or may, maybe it's not that, maybe it's a little more subtle. May, uh, maybe It's like shopping spree. Oh, that's a real thing. They got some relational traumas, relational wounds, and and here's the way, they don't medicate it through substances. Instead, what they do is they go shopping. And I'm not talking grocery shopping, although that that big tub of ice cream, come on, somebody. No, what they do, like like literally, I've I've, I've met with people, I've pastored people that have have $20,000, $40,000 of debt because they're medicating it through shopping. Hello, Amazon. Right? And so they're, they're, they're trying to deal and cope rather than, than, than heal. And the list could go on and on and on. And here's the thing is, is God doesn't want us to deal with it. God wants us to heal from it. There's, there's nowhere in Scripture that God is just like, hey, you're just, you know, just deal with it. No, g- g- give it to him and heal from it. And the only way, here's the thing, the only way you're going to heal from relational wounds, the way you're going to heal from relational is when you lay it at the feet of Jesus. When you bring it to him and you offer it to him. Why? Because he gets us. I've seen the commercial. He gets us. And he really does get us. Because Christ himself dealt with relational wounds. John 1.11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Instead, they put him on a cross. He knows what it is to deal with relational wounds. He knows what it is to be betrayed. Twelve disciples, one, sold him. Sold him out for the price of a slave. Jesus knows, and because he knows, man, we can take it to him, and we can find freedom, and we can find healing from the relational wounds in our life. Are you with me this morning? Listen to this verse. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. It says, so humble yourself under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Verse 7. Give, or or the translation I learned it in when I was growing up, cast all your cares upon him. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Notice the connection between humility and being able to surrender the weights of your life to him. 
See, humility isn't just me being like, okay, I need to be, you know, thinking less of myself or think less of myself and, and I need to have this posture and I need to have this. No, you know what humility is? Humility is acknowledging the fact that I got some stuff and I got some baggage and I got some pain and I got some relational wounds and I'm going to lay it at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to cast all of it upon him. That is the act of humility that it's talking about right here. I'm going to bring this stuff to him, and I'm going to lay it. I can't carry it. I can't deal with it. God doesn't want me to deal with it. He wants me to heal from it. And the way I heal from it is as I cast it all upon him. I love the way it reads in the Amplified. It says this, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Set aside self-righteous pride. What is that? The idea that you can handle it, the idea that you got it covered, the idea that you, so that he may exalt you to a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time. Casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him. For he cares about you with the deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Now I'm telling you right now, the, the weight, if you don't cast it upon him, if you don't get rid of it, if you don't lay it at the feet of Jesus, the weight of that relational wound will eventually crush you. You think, oh, I got this handled. I'm good. I'm good. Anybody ever go to the gym and work out? Three of you. Anybody ever in the past, ever in your life, lift a weight before? Gosh, this is such a difficult church to pastor sometimes. <laughs> I need to think of like some examples. Like, how many of you guys have ever gone shopping and lifted up some clothes off of the, you know, whatever? Okay. If you get down on that bench and you put 10 pounds on and you start bench pressing that, at some point, that thing's gonna feel really heavy. You might think the first 20 reps, I got this thing. It's good, I'm good. Just whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger, I'm getting stronger. And then maybe at about rep 55, maybe because I tried it. You're like, oh my gosh, this thing's really heavy. And, and this thing's, you sit there bench pressing that thing long enough, there's gonna be a moment where you can't push it up any longer. And see, so you know what the enemy wants you to believe? The enemy wants you to believe, I just deal with it. Just deal with it. Suck it up. You'll be fine. But at some point, if you don't cast that weight off, if you don't cast that weight over to him, it's eventually going to crush you. Cast. Don't wait. Don't get to the point where, man, it's so heavy, it's such a burden, I can't do it anymore. No, give it to him. Give it to him. Give it to him. How, how, how do I know that I'm dealing with something rather than healing from something? How, how do you know that someone still has a wound? Because they still have a bandage on. Right? And, and the longer you keep that bandage on, matter of fact, the longer you keep the bandage on, the slower it heals. And we know that people are still dealing with it because they're still medicating it. But once that bandage comes off and, it, and healing comes, the scar is there. But it's no longer painful. 
It's no longer open. It's no longer festering. New skin begins to grow. Oh, you might be able to see it just faintly still. But that's just a reminder of God's grace and how he healed you in that moment. I know I'm healed from it because now I can be in the room with the same person. Was oh, that getting too practical? I know I've healed from it because I can actually go to church and listen to a pastor preach. Well, amen. The problem is, is too many people are just trying to deal with it. But I believe that today that God's grace wants to come and heal you of your relational wounds so that you can lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of you. God, we thank you for your word today. Do me a favor, just stand to your feet. We close out the service. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. God, thank you that we can learn from the brothers today in the story. God, we don't want to be those, Lord God, that walk with jealousy. We don't want to be those, Lord God, that are holding back uh, Lord, the great thing you want to do in us and the great thing you want to do in others. God, we don't want to be those that are acting out irrationally. God, we want to be those that are grounded in the truth of your word. God, and living it out in every area of our life. And so, God, I'm, I'm just asking right now that, that, Lord, you would come and you would expose in us, Lord, the ways in the, that we're dealing with stuff. God, we would find healing. God, for those of us that are here, and maybe we'd say, man, I'm, I'm good, I'm healed, that God, we, you would give us greater compassion and understanding for those that are walking through the relational wounds. God, you'd equip us with your word and with your grace to help bring people, Lord, out of that place into a great place of hope and healing. God, that we would learn today how to, how to not sit there and bench press, Lord God, that which we were never meant to hold on to and press, but we'd be able to say, hey, now I'm casting this over to him. It's, a, it's an act of humility. See, some of you, just, just keep your eyes closed for a moment. Some of you think it's just strength that you've been able to walk through some stuff. You wear it like a badge of honor, like, oh yeah, I made it through that, I made it through that, I made it through that. But yeah, when you walk into the room with somebody, you can barely stand being in the room with them. You avoid certain places, you avoid certain activities, you avoid people, groups, because you were wounded, but yet you were like, I made it through this. You didn't make it through nothing, you're still dealing with it. He wants you to heal today. He wants you to find healing in Him. He wants you to cast it off, get rid of it, throw it over. And so I'm just gonna do this with every eye closed. I wanna know who I'm praying for, because I know I'm praying for somebody. Maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a mom, maybe it was a dad, maybe it's current, maybe it's past, maybe it's, it's coming, I don't know, but. You're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I need healing. I, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not gonna deal any lie, I need healing. I need healing in a relational issue in my life. Just shoot your hand in the air, come on, lift it up. Come on, there's no shame. Tons of people in the first service did the same thing, found healing today found healing. Maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a sister, it's a mom, it's a dad, it's a mentor, it's a business person, it's somebody that did you wrong and now I'm never going to do business with those people again. I'm, I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to trust that group again. I'm never going to do that. God, there's healing for you today. There's healing for you today. There's healing for you today. He's a good God. 
You can put your hand down. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you right where you're at. But then I am going to open up the altars at the end, and some of our leaders and prayer team and pastors will be up here. And if you need something more than just what I'm going to pray right now, you make your way forward at the end of this service, and, and you get some more prayer. Maybe it wasn't even for anything we mentioned today. Maybe you're just, you just need prayer for something specific. Maybe you're far from God, and you just need to say, man, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. You come. But Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. God, your grace is so good. Thank you for teaching us from your word today. And Lord, I pray that, God, we would take these, these principles, and as I shared earlier, God, we would apply them to our life so that we could find healing, freedom in you. So Lord, I pray for every person that raised their hand, as they, they surrender and, and, and cast it over to you, that they'd find freedom today. Pray for the one that's far from you. God, let them step into your presence today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, I'm gonna ask those pastors and leaders to come on up right now. Um, as you're making your way out, others are gonna make their way forward for prayer. Don't leave if you need prayer. You, get, you need prayer, get up here and get some prayer today. Uh, but as you're making your way out, man, the young people are gonna be out there. Trust me, you don't wanna miss out on this avocado toast. It's homemade bread, everything, it's, it's phenomenal. It's like going to the farmer's market, only better. Get it? And if you're here or joining us over the last couple of months, I wanna meet you. Go through all the double doors until I hit the gymnasium. You'll see some tables set up over there. Love to hang out with you, get to hear your story. God bless. Come on, you need.